right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 329, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. And with that number, we're going to give a shout out to all the former NWSL players who are coaching in the league or have been coaching in the league. And I expect there will be a lot of them, particularly the 329 uh, number. I was able to find that Julianne Sitch, who played two seasons with Chicago Red Stars, and she's now one of their assistant coaches. She played 2,329 minutes over two regular seasons. And speaking of former players coaching in Nidibusel, the first chat in today's episode is with Bev Yanez, who spent several seasons with Seattle Rain, which of course became Rain FC. Now we all know it as OL Rain. She uh, was recently named assistant coach for Gotham FC, where she'll be working with Scott Parkinson, who was a uh, former assistant coach at both Utah and Chicago. Had a great, great time chatting with Bev. And then I spoke with Jason Anderson of Black and Red United. We actually recorded this segment uh, last week, so it's before the whole uh, cancellation of this past weekend's game, but we do address a lot of the issues that uh, Washington Spirit has been having. Uh, Of course, Jason Anderson, based in D.C., covers a lot of what goes on with D.C. soccer. And of course, between the two chats, we have a Jen's Planner segment. This week's segment explains the playoff formats, standings, tiebreakers. I'm sure I've explained them before. Never hurts to have a refresher, especially since this is the first season where we will have six teams make the playoffs. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at MixZone with two X's and at KeeperNotes. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Bev Yanez, the new assistant coach for Gotham FC and, of course, former NWSL, also WPS player and, of course, Japanese league player. And that's a whole other story we can talk about, Bev. But first, congratulations on becoming an NWSL coach. Thank you so much. I'm absolutely thrilled. I'm honored. I'm grateful. Um, And my first few days have been nothing but special in regards to the staff as a whole um, and getting to know the players um, and being a part of the group itself. And of course, making the big move to the East Coast. Yes, 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 yes. How could I forget? Yes, a big move. I, I was I was in Northern California, um, born and raised in Southern California, but obviously traveling the country and the world, um, pursuing a soccer career and retired about three years ago now, um, give or take. And then now um, having this incredible opportunity and um, moving my entire life to the East Coast. And I'm super excited about it. I'm very um Excited to learn the city itself, um, learn more about the club, be a part of the club, um, and influence it positively in any capacity that I can. And it's got to be fun to be reunited with one of your old um, Rain teammates, Naho Kawasumi. Yes, absolutely. Um, Yeah, it's, you know, obviously during my playing time, I had several years with Naho. Um, We actually played together in um, Japan. And um, I believe Naho brought it up to me first. Um, Hey, Bev, you know, I'm going to play in the U.S. League. I'm like, you are? Who are you going to play for? And she's like, Seattle. I'm like, me too. She's like, no way. (laughs) Um, So actually, funny story, we both signed um, and found out just through conversation that we were actually signed to the same team. 
um, which I thought was pretty cool um, and very fun. So that was exciting to know. Obviously, I'd spent about two and a half years with her um, before coming over to the rain. So it was fun to like know someone as I was coming back and making that transition back into the States, who I very much so respected as a human being and as a player. Um, and to have an opportunity to play with such a legend, um, it was it was just an incredible opportunity. Now coming back in a different capacity, right, as a, as her as her coach, essentially one of her coaches. <laughs> um, so it, it's a lot of fun, and it's been it's been great so far. Well, let's talk about um, the different places you've played, in, you know, including Japan, because I want to hear about how those experiences as a player, very different experiences, you know, have kind of shaped your journey to become a coach, how, you know, how they're going to inform you as a coach, because, you know, I don't think a lot of fans are aware that, you know, you spent two seasons in, in WPS. So you remember, you know, a previous league, you know, a league that was struggling in a way that, you know, we haven't seen this league struggle in a long time. Um, you know, so you play for the freedom, play for the Western Air Flash, you know, won a championship, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with the Flash only to see, Absolutely. you know, the, the league implode and then, you know, going over to Japan. But talk about, you know, those early experiences, you know, you're right out of college playing in WPS. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of experiences yeah. from those early years do you think have shaped you as a coach? Yeah, no, I think it's a fantastic question because I think a lot of those experiences had such a huge influence in myself as a young player, um, recognizing that I actually wanted a coaching career and kind of pursuing the two while I was playing. So I'll kind of dive into it a little bit more. But essentially, um, when I was at Miami, I got drafted in 2010. Um, the draft was on Twitter. That was the only way that you found out. I was actually playing Yahtzee right. at the time. And I didn't want to look at the phone because I had never had a Twitter account before. So I actually had to create one. And my mom did the same in order for us to follow if you're going to get picked up or not, which obviously that's already a huge difference, right? Um, <laughs> so we were watching Twitter um, and, you know, the picks are going and I'm getting more nervous and pretending like I'm actually playing Yahtzee, but I'm definitely not. I'm 100% focused on if I'm going to be drafted or not, but trying to act like I'm not. Um, and my mom said, you got drafted. I said, no way. So I think I went 27th overall. Um, and I was just completely thrilled. I thought, here we go. You know, I've wanted this since I was five years old. Here's the first, you know, uh, attempt at this career that I would love to have. Um, I went in 2010 to uh, Washington Freedom, where I got to play with um, some of the biggest names in the game, Homari Sawa, Ali Long, Ashlyn Harris, um, Abby Wambach, um, Becky Sauerbrunn, you na- Sonia Bompastor, you name them, they were there. Um, and what an incredible first year, right, coming out of college and getting to play with, um, you know, right. like Abby Wambach, right? Um, I walked in the locker room and I think I just stared at her like, there's no way I'm on her team, right? Um, just as a young, <laughs> as a young girl, it was there, a young lady, it was very fascinating to have been put in the same locker room as these um, impeccable women. Uh, so I took the opportunity to learn as much as I could um, during that time. Um, and then obviously went to Western New York Flash shortly after that, you know, during that time as well. Um, you know, you know, it was tough. I was living with the host family. I was making very little money. Um, I was only making money during season, which at that point, I believe season was about six months long, um, six to seven months long. Um, and so having to find a job during the off season, you know, um, being with the host family, it was very exciting in the moment. And now looking back on it, you know, obviously you have the thought of, wow, okay. I didn't even realize, you know, how much the game has grown and how much it could grow because I was so immersed in the 
and the fact that, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I get to do what I love. Um, right. Great. But the second season I went to the Western New York Flash, um, we won a championship there. Um, and towards the tail end of my career um, at Western New York Flash, I decided to actually sign with uh, Sky Blue. Um, and when I was going to play for Sky Blue, uh, the league folded. So I woke up one day, got a phone call from my agent. And he said, I, I hate to tell you this, but the league is folded. And I'll never forget that feeling. It was like, well, what what now? Well, what am I supposed to do now? Right. Um, even though right. I'm very little, um, I'm very excited and very thrilled and I'm young. I, I feel like I have so much to offer the game and I feel like I have so much to learn. And so many of these women that um, are very good at what they do, what are they going to do next? Um, and so I think for me, that realization was very tough. Um, and they said, we have already planned a preseason trip to Japan that has been completely paid for. So we're going to keep the trip because these Japanese teams are expecting our arrival and our game. So I said, yeah, I'm definitely going. The last thing I want to do is think about the fact I don't have a job anymore and a job that I'm, you know, I've wanted since I was five years old. So I would love to go. So I went, um, we played against INAC and after the first game, four of us got invited to the, uh, training for Ainat Kobe Leonessa, which is located in Kobe, Japan. And I'll never forget being out there on, oh, the, wow. on the field that day and playing for Sky Blue against them and realizing, holy moly, this is some of the best soccer I've ever seen and the best soccer I've ever experienced playing against. I remember at one point I looked over at the ref and said, excuse me, um, do you know how much time's left? Because I couldn't believe how much the ball was pinging around us. Um, so needless to say, they were a very strong side, very good team. Um, they understood each other technically and tactically, and it was just super impressive. So we got invited to um, the trainings. And after uh, that, about towards the tail end of the week, we got a knock on our door and got offered contracts, two of the four. And I was one of those, too. Um, so I decided to stay for a year since there was no league back in the U.S. That following year, the NWSL came back, and I decided to stay in Japan because I was enjoying my time. I really felt like I was learning so much, especially tactically. Um, and I remember when I first arrived there, my first week of trainings as a member of the team, I was about 24 years old, I want to say. And I remember being there and playing with 16 and 17 year old girls, um, because at that point in Japan, um, it was very common for uh, young men or women to leave home to pursue their career, whatever that career was. And so I was playing professionally with 16 and 17 year olds. Um, Interesting. And I remember at that time feeling like at 24 and having two years in a professional league in the U.S. that I felt far behind in regards to the technical and tactical side of the game. And I really felt like that year, that particular coach and that particular team that I played for at INAC um, really taught me to better understand the game without the ball. And I never really experienced that during my time here in the U.S. Um, and I couldn't quite comprehend why I felt so far behind. And that's really where the question kind of hung over my head. And that's really where I believe my coaching career ignited because I felt like I was behind and I couldn't understand why I was so far behind. Um, and after experiencing the more technical and tactical side of the game, I realized I enhanced a lot of my attributes and strengthened a lot of my strengths, but also found a lot of my improvement areas and how to, um, essentially make those strengths or at least strengthen them enough so that it wouldn't be so much of an improvement area. And so for me, that's kind of where it all started. I came back to the U S when I was ready, I was ready to be around family and not be, you know, a 16 hour time change away. Um, and so right. back to 
the NWSL and I was actually picked up because the rain came and played against us in a preseason and they were like are you American I was like yeah actually I am <laughs> and so hey I ended you up blonde girl back. in Japan are yeah, you American yeah yeah it was so funny so I was like yeah actually I am so I essentially got I essentially came back to the NWSL much as how I left the WPS which is very interesting um and I came only on loan my first year. I don't think a lot of people know right. that. I came, on, right. I came on loan to the rain and then um, went back to Japan and then realized, okay, I'm ready to be back in the States. I'm excited for this opportunity. So when I came back, I was playing and coaching. So I started coaching with the rain Academy um, during season. So what I would do is kind of manage my time, depending on what day of the week, what, when the game was, et cetera, et cetera, of kind of diving into my coaching career, starting my licensing, all of that. Um, and essentially I felt like I was becoming a better player because a lot of what I was teaching these young girls was still things that I needed to work on. Right. So I'm hollering at them, check your shoulders, check your, I'm like, I need to check my shoulders more in the game. Right. So a lot (laughs) of what I was teaching, I felt like I was actually becoming a better player because I was better understanding the game. I was analyzing uh, the game very consistently. So I felt like my brain felt fresh in that sense. Um, And that's kind of where it all started. I continued to to have a career. And then I obviously played for the likes of uh, Laura Harvey and um, Vlatko, which really kind of enhanced my want to be a coach because obviously I have so much respect for the two of them. All they've done for the women's game in general and all who they are in regards to how they uh, player manage, um, what their sessions are like, um, and how elite of an environment that they provide for these players. And so I continued to go, okay, well, this is still something. So I actually bought a notebook in Japan and I keep track of all of the drills that I liked throughout my time. So back in 2012, I still have it today. So now 2021. Um, And every drill that I felt was very impactful, I drew the drill out or the exercise out and I gave a description as to what it was, what the demands were, where the ball was, where the opponents were, whatever it looked like, right? And then a description as to what the progressions may be. So I actually have this quote unquote diary that I'm very protective of. Um, (laughs) Yes, as you should be. I mean, and make sure you scan it so you have a backup copy. I love it. I love it. Yes. No, it's my absolute favorite. Um, And so now you fast forward to my time being spent and my time better understanding what things I felt went well what things I felt could have improved. And you you kind of go throughout this whole environment as the league's also progressing at the same time, right? So, you know, when I left, they now got allocation money and then they had opportunities for women to um, get childcare, right? Um, And so it no longer became a thing where women have to choose. Do I step aside and start a family or do I play, right? There's opportunities to do both. What? So, I consider myself and a lot of other women out there as pioneers of the women's game. Um, We've seen the league. We've sacrificed a lot to be a part of the league and its progression. And we've taken very little money in order to do that Um, because we believed in the league. We believed in the people that were invested in it, the coaches that were involved, the players that wanted to play. There's just so many pieces to it. Right. And so now as this continues to progress, and obviously I was retired for about three years before taking this coaching role and all the coaching I continued to do throughout that time, I kept feeling like I was missing something. And I kept telling my husband, I just, I'm missing something. My heart feels somewhat empty. And I got to do what I loved for almost 10 years of my life. I know what it feels like to do what you love for a living. And I'm empty. And I can't quite find out why I'm empty. And I'm like, I don't know what it is. And I realized it's the women's game. It's women's sports, and specifically, it's the NWSL. I 
have so much passion for the league for having been a player and having figured out during my young playing years how much I wanted to become a coach when the time came that that's what was missing. And when this opportunity came along, I was just smiles from ear to ear. I'm absolutely ecstatic because I knew this is what I was passionate about. Um, And already about, what, 10 days in, I don't even know the count specifically, I've just been absolutely in heaven. Um, And then you go to somebody like Scott Parkinson. It's just what an absolute honor it is to coach alongside someone like him. He is what this league needs. He is what this club deserves. And I am absolutely honored to be alongside him um, and working with the likes of Becky Tweed and Dan um, on staff as well. Uh, Fantastic human beings, very passionate about the league, very passionate about the players in the league, very passionate about the squad itself and providing an environment for these players to thrive in both on and off the pitch. Um, I am just through the moon for this opportunity. I'm incredibly grateful. Um, I also come in with the player's perspective, right? Which I think wraps up the right. whole thing. Hey, I've been there. I've been there when there was, I've been there for two years and the league folded and I had to go pursue an opportunity over in Japan. And I learned a ton about who I was not being able to communicate with the coach and better understand what are my strengths and challenges. I've always been able to ask a coach. Now I can't I have to figure out who I am. How is that possible? Right. Into coming back and being a part of the NWSL and having that little like, are we going to surpass the WPS? Oh my gosh, yes, we did. And now we're going even further. <laughs> and now teams are coming in and then teams are changing cities. And it's like, oh my God, is it going to grow? You know, um, so being a part of that, but not only being a part of that progression, also being a part of how mentally and physically demanding the game itself can be at that level is also something to consider, right? When you're very right. young, you're trying to figure out what your role is amongst the team. What's my role? Um, How do I contribute? How do I contribute if I'm not playing? How do I contribute when I am playing, right? And so I think all those different facets and understanding, like I miss so many birthdays. I miss so many holidays. I miss so many family get-togethers. But it's a sacrifice that you make to be the best version of yourself possible for your team. A lot of people underestimate that. And by people, I you know, you could go off into a lot of tangents in that area, but I just think it's really underestimated how physically and mentally demanding it can be when every single thought of every day is, did I eat enough? Did I not eat enough? Did I eat too early? Did I eat too late? Did I sleep enough? Did I not sleep enough? Did I nap? Did I not nap? (laughs) Did I wear my lucky socks today? Right? There's so much thought that goes into it. And a lot of what people see is these women dressed up on game day with the names on the back of the jersey, the whistle blows, and they're like, oh, she didn't have a very good game and she did. Right? There's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot that these women do and a lot of these professional sports um, athletes do in order to be the best versions of themselves. And having had that experience at this level for as long as I have, I hope to bring that perspective in of, Hey, I remember what this is like. Here's my advice. Well, and especially when I I think about, sorry, when I think about like, you know, 2014 um, where they did a 24 game season and that was that was um, you know your first season in NWSL. They did a twenty four game season, but it mm-hmm. was compressed from like mid April to mid August, right? So mm-hmm. now we're at a twenty four mm-hmm. game season that's early May to late October, right? Where it's it's like yep. it's such a better yep. schedule, and and mm-hmm. and because you don't have a lot of people that were covering the the game back then, that the league back then, they don't yep. remember. It's, it's like the schedule is better. 
than it's ever been. And like you were mentioning, you know, it's, it's like the pay, the shorter season, the, you know, now where it's like, Mm -hmm. Hey, we know that the, the players, they're paid for housing for the entire year. They're paid for childcare mm-hmm. if they need it, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Still so many things to improve upon, but, but I love that we can actually Absolutely. see, we but can see this progression. progression. There has yeah. been progression. Absolutely. And I think that's the key to it all, right? It's progressing forward. And how can we continue to contribute to make sure that it continues to progress forward and that these players um, get what they, what they deserve. Right. And I think for me, the few conversations that I had with Gotham upon taking the job, I knew this would be a fantastic fit um, because I just think so highly of what they're doing, how they're doing it. Um, and I really feel like it's such a special group. I have obviously, you know, been a part of a lot of teams and can say that I've been a part of a lot of special groups as a player. Um, and now coming in and as a coach, I can definitely say that this group is a very, very special group. Um, and I'm excited to see um, the continued progression as a group um, in a positive manner and continue to help in any capacity that I can amongst the group. But I definitely feel like this is a very special group. This is a very special club. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm excited to just be a part of it. So full circle well, tell- now, <laughs> former yeah. player, now coach. And yeah, just absolutely thrilled. Well, tell me a little bit about how when you retired from playing, you know, what coaching work were you doing after that that then led you back around to this? Yes, no, absolutely. So um, during my coaching career, obviously, I was um, doing a lot of the academy coaching, um, obviously, for the rain since I was playing for them for so long. Um, and then when I came out here, I took a director position out in NorCal upon retiring and was running um, doing a lot of coaching, um, and, and doing this, this director role. Um, and then I took another job, um, with Juventus Academy, uh, in Northern California and was running, um, I was the director and the boys technical director and, and coaching as well. So I think for me, um, like I said, early on, my continued want to be a part of the women's game just continued to grow as my separation kind of grew longer in the sense of, um, my retirement from the game um, and all those experiences and the constant reflection of it made me who I was today, right? I may not have had the biggest paycheck in my early years, but I really knew how bad I wanted it because it didn't, it wasn't about the money. It was about how much I wanted to be a part of the league and the league's progression and how much I wanted to say at some point, somebody's going to get paid what they deserve. And to know that I was maybe a small 0.01% piece of that made me feel good. Um, and it wasn't necessarily about my current situation. It was about the future. Um, and, and not just financially, right? In so many other ways too, like sponsors for these players, right? Um, and, and those kinds right. of things as well. And the setup for them overall. Um, and so for me, I think I was on a constant search. I'll be honest with you. Since I retired, I was on a constant search of what do what is my passion? Because I feel like my passion's in coaching, but here I am doing some of it, and I can't quite. It's not fulfilling my heart, and it's just so strange to me because it's like, why, you know? Um, and and that being said, obviously those teams that I was working with, I gave everything I had. I felt very confident in the relationship that I built with the players, and I was enjoying it, of course. But something just felt empty still, and I couldn't figure out what it was. Um, and. Sure enough, as this kind of, you know, narrowed in, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's the league and being a part of the league and contributing that basically what I've done 
right? For as long as I right. can remember since I've entered is I wanted to help. And so I think coming into this now, and I just really, really, really believe in all that Gotham's doing and everything that they are um, looking to continue to provide their, their players. And um, now having been a part of it for, like I said, about what, 10 days now, <laughs> I am just uh, through the moon with uh, every, every piece, every little small detail. Um, I'm just absolutely ecstatic to be a part of it. And um, I hope that, you know, I could continue to bring a lot to the group itself and contribute. I think that's just kind of who I was as a player, right? I think anyone that watches the NWSL or watched it back when I was playing, I wasn't the flashiest player. I wasn't the player that everybody's like, you know, the announcers were saying the name over and over and over and over again, but I worked my butt off and I did everything I possibly could every game because I knew if I could just lay it all out there and walk away, I could say I laid it all out there. Right. I did the box to box work. Um, and that's kind of what I'm taking into this, you know, I'm taking it in. I'm going to work my butt off. I'm going to do everything I possibly can for this group. And I'm going to provide every single piece of knowledge that I have. And I still have a lot to learn and I'm excited to learn as well. Um, and I think that's the part of me as a player that allowed me to become a long-term player in this league. And I hope that I could take that same aspect into my coaching career now and have the um, longevity as well within it. Well, and, and talk about, you know, what, it felt like for you to come into a club where, okay, you've got Yale, Averbush, you know, someone that, you know, you knew as a, as a, as a fellow player, right. Or mm-hmm. Stephanie Lee, mm-hmm. who had been at, at the rain right now, she's, yeah. she's, she's with Gotham. I mean, it, it's like not only people you knew, but women mm-hmm. in management roles, you know, in NWSL with histories with NWSL. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's just really important, right? When you, there's just something to say about experience and having experience in something brings a lot to your perspective. Um, And I think having people like Stephanie Lee and having people like Yael, um, who've been involved in the league for as long as they have, they have this experience and perspective that truthfully, not a lot of other people have. Right. And so I think that bringing, bringing that and having that is a huge part of how the league continues to progress forward. And so for me, I'm ecstatic to see um, these two in particular in the roles that they're in. I think very highly of who they are as individuals and very highly of who, uh, what they bring in their roles um, and their professionalism in those roles. So um, I think they're going to be a huge part to this club in particular, and it's continued um, uh, continued positive direction that it's headed in. And I just am, I'm absolutely ecstatic that they are a part of it. Well, last question for you, Bev. I, I want you to, well, I guess it's a two-parter. You know, can you give me one anecdote about Laura Harvey and one about Vlako Anonofsky, you know, your experience as a player of something that, you know, kind of got crystallized in your head as like, oh, when I'm a coach, I, I need to remember that, or I want to be like that, or, you know, I, you know, I want to make sure I remember this and write this down in my journal because this is so crucial. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, let me see. When it comes to um, Vlatko, I think Vlatko was just so great at 
wanting and creating an environment for his players to understand what the expectations were. And within that, providing an environment for the players to thrive in. And so I think he did a fantastic job at that. Um, and then with regards to Laura, I mean, obviously she always had, you know, a very good um, and fun training environment. And she created kind of an environment that everybody felt like. And obviously I'm doing them as two totally separate um, people when I'm answering this question. But she right. just created <laughs> such a fun environment in the sense of, you know, you showed up and um, you enjoyed being around the people, um, the 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 athletes and her and uh, the training environment itself was, was pretty competitive. So I think for me, it was very fun to experience them and their differences as um, as coaches and to obviously experience it as a player, but two incredibly good coaches. Um, obviously, as you can see with Vlatko taking his job, Laura having her stint with the, the national team um, stuff and then being back in the league. Um, they're very respected, well-respected coaches, um, and they're very well-respected human beings. Um, if you ask a lot of people, um, you hear a lot of good about those two. Um, so to have those two as quote-unquote mentors as I can continue to um, – dive into the to my coaching career um in the league i think it's an incredible opportunity to um you know reflect on the days that i spent with them as as a player um and kind of what those those times looked like um so yeah well, I'm just I'm so excited, you know, to have a chance to talk to you, Bev. And of course, you know, it's always Aww. great to see a former NWSL player Thank coming you. back into the league, you know, in a management or coaching role. So I know I know everyone was kind of, you know, stressed, the, especially Gotham fans this summer, you know, as, as, <laughs> as bad news went down. But like, you know, and then, of course, losing Freya. But uh, but it's so great yes. to see the club continue to make that commitment of like, we're just going to keep hiring the best we can get, you know? So yeah, good absolutely. luck. Good luck for the, the rest well, of the season. And, and I appreciate with your, that with your burgeoning professional coaching thank career. You. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. Like I said, I'm just incredibly excited to be a part of this special group. Um, and I'm excited for what the, the future holds overall. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be back in the league in the capacity that I am as far as the coaching role itself goes. And I couldn't be more grateful for the opportunity to coach alongside um, Scott, Becky, and Dan. Um, I just think so highly of who they are in the past 10 days. Like I said, I've had a smile ear to ear um, because I really, really believe that uh, these coaches um, and obviously Scott um, and Becky and Dan are all fantastic human beings and their knowledge of the game is just through the ceiling. So um, I really feel like this group overall is incredibly special and I'm looking forward to, to diving in um, deeper. So, yeah. Time for a little gensplaining. This week's topic the NWSL playoffs format, new and improved for 2021. This is the first time in league history that six teams qualify for the playoffs. So what happens when you've got six? Because obviously that doesn't work, work into a bracket very well. What it means is that the top two seeds, they earn a bye to the semifinal round. So the first weekend of the NWSL playoffs, that will be November 7th, the number three seed will host the number six team, and the number four seed will host the number five team. 
the following weekend will be the semifinals. So the top seed, whoever wins the NWSL Shield, they will host the winner of the number four, number five game. And the number two seed will host the winner of the other game. So with this format, not only do you have six teams in the playoffs, but you have four teams getting to host a home playoff game. So that's that's huge. And then the two semifinal winners will meet in the final on Saturday, November 20th in Portland, as we all know, was announced. Uh, Not even going to get into a discussion about the, the kickoff time. But the final will air live on Big CBS. Um, it will also be on Twitch. All of the playoff games will be on Twitch internationally and either CBS Sports or Paramount Plus, um, you know, domestically. So everyone will be able to watch. And an important note about the NWSL standings tiebreakers, because with a lot of teams, they either have five, six, or seven games left to play, depending on the teams. So everyone's going to be looking at those standings pretty closely. The first tiebreaker for any teams tied on points is head-to-head. So, for example, if the Rain and Portland end up tied on points, the Rain will end up with a higher seed because they won two of the three meetings between those clubs this season. They've only played two of their three, but Rain won both of them, so they have the advantage. The next tiebreaker after that, say the teams, say they ended up even, you know, like they went one, one and one, or they only played twice and they each won once. The next tiebreaker is goal differential for the entire season, then total goal score, then road goal differential, then road goals, then home goal differential, then home goals, and finally a coin toss. So just so you have all those handy, uh, they're not on the standings page on NWSLsoccer.com, but they are on the competition guidelines. So I hope that paints a clear picture of what we're going to be looking at for a November schedule. This will be the first time that NWSL is playing in November. And tickets for the final, I heard, should be on sale any day now. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Jason Anderson, managing editor of Black and Red United. In other words, the blog that covers everything that's happening with soccer in Washington, D.C. And Jason, boy, is Washington, D.C. a hotbed for soccer drama or what? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been, you know, I, I, I want to say it's been a long August because it's piled into September. So it's it's that it's that same thing of like, Everyone said 2020 uh, had extended into 2021. I feel like my August has just gone into overtime in September, and it's still the same chaotic August uh, on the spirit front, especially. Uh, I, yeah, it's it's been a little exhausting. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and it and it doesn't seem to be stopping anytime soon, right? Like right. like we we know this is this is the tip of the iceberg. And hey, I, you know, I, I think to put it in context, we are at a very significant phase of, of the league, you know, in its history in terms of club, all the clubs are working to get bigger and better. Mm-hmm. New investors have come on board. Um, you know, just, just a lot of big kind of growing pains. Right. Mm-hmm. So this may or may not be an offshoot of, of that, but there's always drama out there. And I thought, Hey, I, I don't need to talk about this, but I need to talk to someone who is on the ground in DC so that, you know, 
my listeners, soccer fans can know like what's, what's real, what's not right. Because mm. whenever there's drama, we see a lot of stuff on social media. Um, you know, legit stuff gets retweeted, but also just rumors and random comments and hot mm-hmm. takes get, get retweeted. So I thought, hey, let's let's go to the closest thing we have to a source um, <laughs> and get 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 your perspective. I mean, what what are the key issues that fans need to know about, especially spirit fans? Uh, well, uh, I, I would say it comes in, I, I guess, at the start um, with between the coaching uh, change through um, the way that was handled. uh, I would say the fact that everyone was told that there was a first, a health issue uh, where Richie Burke was going to be moved into a front office role. And then it was actually, he was fired. And that was, that wasn't the spirit or the league saying that that was the athletic reported that first. And then the really vital reporting from uh, Molly Hensley Clancy at the Washington post to bring forth the, you know, pretty extensive uh, allegations of abuse uh, from, from Burke. Um, So we heard, you know, moved upstairs for health issue. And then we heard fired. Then we heard suspended. Um, Haven't actually heard clarification further on that. I assume just fired is what actually happened, but the team has never said officially on the record that that is what happened. Um, And that kind of leads into the rest of it because there is a lot of um, things that are coming out uh, in, in, you know, through reporting Uh, the post also accounted for um, an uh, ongoing battle for control of the team uh, between uh, the two largest stakeholders, um, uh, Steve Baldwin and Michelle Kang. They both hold 35% of the the club's worth with Baldwin's position is uh, the spirit change job titles a lot. I have to say like that. So when I say Baldwin is officially managing partner, uh, that is a, a job title that has been brought up, but like CEO has come up a few other titles have been thrown in. There's a lot of that going on. Um, so that just adds a layer, a small layer of confusion because now you have to look at like, is this subtle job title in a press release or in the team's match day magazine? Does that indicate that an actual change has happened or is it just one of the, one of the different job titles? Um, And and it's also who's, who's producing the item, right? The the person making the game day program is sometimes different from the person making the press release. Well, and let me ask you who owns the other 30% of the spirit. That's Bill Lynch, uh, the the team's uh, founding owner. Um, he initially owned 100% of the team, and then eventually, when Steve Baldwin came in, um, we only this this these percentage breakdowns only came out when the Post reported out this uh, ownership dispute. Um, so yeah, he own, he owns the other 30%, which begs the question: like, what happened with all those other, you know? Alex Ovechkin and Chelsea Clinton and Jenna Bush Hager and Dominique Dawes. Um, those are, they, those people have been referred to as investors and it's like 40 something people. Um, I, we don't right. have time for me to even uh, name everybody that that would be the whole show. Um, we'll just be reading a list of names, but um, I have to assume that, you know, if you just do some very like back of napkin math, um, if those shares, those investment shares are even worth 5,000 bucks, um, once you say, okay, 35 and 35 and 30, that's 100. 
even if you're rounding up and you're assuming there's like half a percent left for all those other people to have owned, if you say each of their shares are five grand, that pushes the valuation of the spirit as a whole up to like 50 million, something like that. And I don't think that that's accurate. So um, part of it is like there's an ownership dispute, but like a lot of the people that that theoretically are seen as spirit owners don't actually own any sort of controlling stake at all. They, they or even like have a, a silent partner. Yeah. Like even if, if they all banded, if they all banded together at once to try and push one way or the other, it would make no difference. Um, right. Is, is and the, I think, that, I think side. that's an important thing um, for, for fans to be aware of. Uh, and, and I think this is kind of fallout for lack of a better word of, you know, LA angel city announcing, you know, all those different owners, right? It, it's like a few of them have major stakes. Most of them have tiny stakes, right? But, mm-hmm. but at the very least, they're lending their name and yeah. reputation to the club to show, hey, I, I support this, right? But that doesn't mean that they can, like you said, you know, step in and, and change anything. Right. Right. And, you know, to some degree, you know, that there are different levels of involvement uh, on that front, too. Um, you know, uh, Bryce Scurry has been hosting, to the best of my knowledge, has like an open door policy for Trinity Rodman to stop by and hang out and decompress or talk or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, the different folks in the ownership group, there are I think one of the things that we were told was that uh, everyone that buys in at that level is sort of. They have to be uh, pitching in. Uh, I think they had five categories that they were looking for people to contribute um, something, whether that's expertise for players and athletes, you know, mental strength, that kind of thing, or business right. or community contacts. But the real power struggle is with Baldwin and Kang. Um, and to such an extent that um, according to the post and according to what I've been able to hear, it, it all points to this post report being completely accurate is that uh, things were close enough to being settled that Michelle Kang went to Houston for the the recent 2-2 draw, um, more or less under the impression that this was she, she was going to take uh, ownership of the club and it was it wasn't done, but it was like that's what was assumed was going to be the end result here. Um, uh-huh. So it's a and mystery. Then what happened? All, all, yeah, all we know is that Steve Baldwin decided he didn't want to do that anymore. Um, everything else after that has become, since that report, things have quieted down on that front. I think I'm sure things are happening behind the scenes. It's just one of those things where I don't, I don't think anyone necessarily wanted that out uh, at first, and now that it is out, they've decided to go back to. Um, you know, closing, closing it down to outsiders and hashing it out from there. Um, it doesn't sound like it's going to end in uh, the friendliest fashion. I think that's fair to say. Um, but yeah, they, that's one of the mysteries going on um, with the spirit. There are, there are times where this, the reason this is kind of important for, for our purposes to talk about the spirit is that it feels a lot of times like information is, on a need to know basis uh, and very few people get that need to know uh, status. And so you find things out at the last second, or you find things out when the team announces it, there's no, um, you know, every team, you know, will give certain people, you know, Hey, heads up, this is coming out, et cetera. Um, 
there's a lot of stuff right now that comes with no advance notice whatsoever. Um, and I think it's because things are so chaotic um, on multiple fronts because we're, we haven't even gotten to the, the soccer side where they were planning on a game last weekend and then had a COVID outbreak and didn't play that game. So, um, so much is happening that I think the club is kind of closing ranks a little bit. And so you find things out at the last second, which uh, it makes it tough to cover. Uh, I'm sure it makes it tough to be a fan as well, because you just, you kind of want to know which way the wind is blowing. And um, after a whole bunch of stuff came out that maybe the team did not want out in the world. Now it's like, okay, let's make an effort to not let so much out right now. Um, and that's kind of where things are. It's, it's a weird place to be in because I would love to be able to have a more solid uh, footing on what's happening, but a lot of this stuff is happening at a remove. Uh, there are layers. It feels even from the outside, at least it feels like there are layers within the organization where if you're in this part of the organization, you're not going to find out what's going on until it's about to happen. Um, so that's, uh, you know, it's, it's not the norm. Uh, I'll say that it's not how things have generally been with the spirit, but uh, it's not every day you have an ownership struggle after a highly controversial um, coach firing uh, that, was maybe not a firing and maybe was. Uh, so it's, it's too much, uh, frankly, all at once. Definitely. And, but I have to say, here, here's a weird take. I don't want to call it a hot take. Mm -hmm. Here's a weird take as, as someone who's been following Wosa pro way too long. Um, part of me is kind of thrilled that there's actually entities that are fighting over control mm -hmm. of a women's pro soccer franchise. You know, that, that mm -hmm. clearly Steve Baldwin feels that this is valuable or at least worth controlling, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, that's, and I guess that's why I say we, we are in kind of that growing pains, difficult age, um, you know, for the league, you know, as mm -hmm. it's approaching its, its, its 10th year. Um, so it's, and I'm not saying, ooh, that's a positive, but I just, I, I find that really interesting because I, I can't think of, any situations in the past where people were fighting for control of a franchise, right? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a good point. Um, the, you know, I know, uh, Baldwin's name is not a popular one uh, around the league or certainly with, within the spirit fan base. If people watched their game at Audi field, you probably heard the, the North Carolina game. Um, you probably heard fans at the end of the match chanting for him to sell the team. Um, and, uh, what I will say is that there has been um, a level of ambition that was what came in when he took over um, that is newer uh, for most of the teams in the league. I think a lot of teams in the league haven't often had an owner willing to say, we want to be the best women's club in the world and, um, you know, ramp things up. Yeah, you know, I've, I've told people this story uh, a few times now, but the difference between going to a game in 2018 uh, and seeing the, uh, you know, a very small handful of team employees all together. Um, you know, a lot of the people that were there making the game day experience happen were volunteers. And then coming in in 2019 and just noticing like, wow, I'm seeing a lot of like spirit polo shirts and, and lanyards that are not for volunteers. They're for actual like spirit employees. Um, so that part, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, it, um, that that's, you know, that's what the, the league growing is going to look like that all over when, when these other teams, especially the independent teams that don't have 
um, the MLS financial backing, the kind of MLS financial strength that those owners have. Um, when the independent teams are able to staff up like that, it does make a huge difference. Um, but obviously that's come with a side that a lot of people really don't like. Um, you know, the, the latest thing is that, uh, you know, this, this North Carolina game came with a, uh, military appreciation night where, uh, general retired general, uh, Michael Hayden was brought in and, um, not to, not to derail us into a, a political thing, but, Michael Hayden's not exactly popular with a certain portion of uh, the <laughs> the voting populace, and right. in, in DC, people are aware. Is is this is something people pay? It, a lot of these people have jobs in this in the political sphere, um, right. so they know they're not caught. This is not one you're going to sneak by people, and people were really upset, and uh, it still happened. You know, the, the response was pretty negative, and. At halftime, they were still, you know, doing the thing on the jumbotron and reading the announcement and all that. So, um, and that was that would have been a bigger thing if not for the sell the team issue, which also involved the team asking for a banner to be taken down, uh, saying that someone, the, the people on the ground were saying that security just told them someone from ownership told them they had to take it down or they're going to get ejected, um, and it just said sell the team, Steve. It wasn't uh, vulgar or anything. So right. You know, that, you know, one, it's kind of classic spirit in this last six weeks is that, you know, one controversy gets almost like pushed aside because another one comes along so quickly that it's just like, well, this is an even bigger deal. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been bizarre. It's also been bizarre that amid all that, the team since the coaching change and the coaching staff is now at 50 percent strength um, because um Richie Burke is not the only person to leave. Uh, uh, Kerry Kvitan left earlier in the year for a job in Denmark. So they all of a sudden are now a two-person coaching staff when they started the year with four. Um, but they've managed to go unbeaten in these three games since all, like all of this chaos has broken out. But the team is quietly, you know, they they really should have, in my opinion at least, they really should have hung on to um, that 2 nothing lead in Houston. Um and the North Carolina game was a home draw, which is frustrating, but I think they had the better of it. I I'm, wouldn't go so far as say they deserved to win, but I thought they were the better of the two teams. And uh, in between those two, they won uh, with a pretty dramatic and pretty spectacular uh, game winner from Ashley Sanchez. So um, on the field, things are going all right. Uh, they are sort of navigating all this chaos without too much of a soccer side uh, problem. It's just... So, so much of everything has stopped being soccer side and, you know, rightly so. Uh, but um, it is a strange thing to be in where on one hand, it's a team that is in the thick of the playoff race um, and, and probably would be looking at themselves saying, like, why aren't we a little higher in that playoff race? Um, and on the other hand, all the discussion is not even about soccer players. Well, and that playoff race is so close, right? Mm -hmm. So so you can go, oh, Washington's in six. But when you look at the spread of points, you know, it's really a week by week, game by game, point by point kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's crazy how how tight the standings are. They've never been this tight this long and, and this far mm -hmm. into this into the season. Um, but let's talk a little bit about um, last weekend and, and this coming weekend. Um, mm -hmm. 
just as a quick refresher, not not as a let's analyze it and figure out who to blame kind of thing, but just like, so what do we know that happened last weekend? And then what, you know, is, is everything on schedule for the spirit to host the rain this Sunday? So everything that happened last weekend was that the the spirit traveled on Thursday uh, for a Saturday game against Portland. So they traveled. They got to they got to Portland on Thursday. My understanding uh, from what sources have told me is that everything was to get on the flight. Everything was up to protocol standards. The negative tests that were needed were were there. They got on the plane. They got to Portland. Everything was fine. And these got, are league protocols. Yes. Right? Yeah. Follow, yeah. Following NWSL uh, rules and regulations. Everything was fine as far as that goes. Uh, Friday morning or Friday late morning, I guess, um, they had a training session. Um, they, I saw I saw the – I think they posted an Instagram story of you know the, the early parts of that, players knocking the ball back and forth during the warm-up stage. Um, and it's like match day one or match day minus one uh, training. And it's like, okay, everything's going normally. Um, my understanding is that sometime in the afternoon, so probably they probably trained, they probably ate, uh, their, you know, post-training meal, um, went, you know, shower change, whatever. And then you've got your afternoon. Um, and that's when people started getting told, Hey, we have to come back and retest. Um, I'm not clear as to exactly what went on. I, I, heard from one source that it might've been someone that was training with the team back here, uh, may have tested positive. Um, but that's, that's very unclear. Uh, but once basically it was like, there's a positive somewhere in the, the orbit of the spirit. So now we have to retest. And then once they retested, that's when, uh, at first three, uh, players tested positive. And then I think a second round of testing the next day added a fourth, Um, my, what I kept hearing from sources was that everyone is asymptomatic. One person had like the very minor symptoms of a cold. Um, so no one had a real bad case, which is, you know, very good news. Um, I don't know how that progressed, but at the time, at least it wasn't like people were badly ill. It was just, you know, minor cases, um, but that, and and of course what, what didn't get out, sorry, um, what didn't get out. I mean, even the league press release didn't say this, that it's like the club was following all of the league protocols and the league protocols have been pretty strict from the beginning. Right. So it's it's like it's it's really great to hear, you know, from you say that, you know, before they travel, they're doing all these tests. Right. And because, of course, you know, the social media hate and blame came down thick and heavy really quickly. And there were a couple people saying it's like, hey, people, don't forget, you can test positive before you get on the plane and test positive, sorry, test negative before you get on mm-hmm. the plane and test positive when, when you get off. So it sounds like they were following all the protocols. And like you said, it, it's like it only takes one. Right. And it and it doesn't even have to be a player. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I saw a lot of people being concerned about the number of players vaccinated. I'm like, hey, you got to think about the coaching staff and any staff that's regular around the players, too. Right. It's, it's like sure. it's just it's that kind of ever widening circle. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Yeah. And, and, and I don't think it makes any any sense to blame it. It's the people saying it's, oh, they should take a forfeit. It's like, was that necessarily something within their control? No, well, the, the hard part here is that, like, theoretically, it could have been, you know, it could have been um, I saw 
you know, the Instagram photo that went around of the, the players had some sort of gathering um, at someone's apartment. Um, but again, you know, how can you prove that that's where it happened? Like, unfortunately, right. we'll never unless the league conducts like an incredible level of contact tracing that I frankly don't think the league is equipped to handle. To do, yeah. um, they're not a contact tracing league. They're a soccer league. Yeah. Um, so until the, and unless they were able to pinpoint it to that degree, um, you know, it's one of those, it, it's almost like a, a, a beyond a shadow of a doubt level thing um, where I understand why people, from a you know you, you you feel like you've been wronged especially if you're a portland yeah. fan you feel like you've been wronged you want some sort of sense of justice but it's it is really really difficult to say for sure that um that the spirit were you know reckless and broke protocol um if the league finds that then so be it you know hope if and if the league and the they league, can find they can find them points or or if, if or, or figure yeah figure out some sort of you know from from that point figure out exactly but I'd what say, but I'd do. say that'd be a really hard thing to figure out and I totally yeah. understand the business perspective um and, and I don't think this gets emphasized enough right as as much as we're we throw around phrases like the players deserve more money and more money should be paid on this more money should be paid on this like that same emphasis isn't given to revenue a lot when you think mm-hmm. of how little revenue the clubs made if any in 2020 and how most of them started with empty stadiums this year yep. you know that hey the fact that you know late august early september is traditionally when portland has a sellout game mm-hmm. you know that they were going to be a sellout or close to it that's a huge chunk of revenue yep. that you and- can't you can't just snap your fingers and it comes back right like those i i'm always amused by people saying what do you mean the portland games aren't sold out i'm like no they tend to sell out like one a year right they yep. always have the biggest crowds but they're not right. always sold out and and there's a lot of people that would have come in for that game that aren't necessarily going to come back right every every dollar is important especially you know when you think of all the costs that were laid out over the last year and a half for which there was no revenue yeah right? exactly and and i think merritt paulson even said you know the thorns were expecting a huge crowd um, right. and i don't know i certainly uh not i don't have any expertise on uh how to try to make that right i i really don't know what to tell anyone um because i I would i would assume if you know if i'm the commissioner i would assume that's okay merit tell us what date works Mm -hmm. best for you to recoup as much as possible right like there's no way you know it's it's force majeure whatever you want to call it you know i think back to the the 2018 semifinal that had to get moved because of the hurricane Mm -hmm. and i I know north carolina was upset because they had sold eight thousand tickets and it's like Yes, but if the teams can't travel there and the refs can't travel there, right. it's dangerous for fans. You know, um, you know, it's 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 all kind of a balancing act. So you know, it it should be as much as Portland can pick pick the ideal date, but it but it's like sorry, you know, it's like there's yeah. there's not going to be a perfect solution. Yeah, I I, I was saying this uh, elsewhere that, uh, that there really isn't going to be an outcome where everyone feels even sort of pleased, like someone's going to come out of this unhappy um, regardless of whether it ends in um, something punitive for the spirit, or if it's just reschedule the game and that's that. And Portland has to go from potentially selling out to potentially like, you know, going from like 27,000 to like 17,000, which is a lot of money, Uh, 10,000 fans uh, worth of revenue 
uh, for most teams is a huge deal. And for the Thorns, even though they're used to plus concessions, crowds, yeah, you know, they're, they're used to those bigger crowds, but like 10,000 fans is not a joke. Um, that's not going to make the the balance sheet look uh, better. I mean, better, yes, but not good compared to what they yeah. were expecting. Well, um, and that's what that's why I wanted to bring up the like, we have to keep in mind too that the last year and a half have been so abnormal. Mm-hmm. you know, that these dollars are even more important now. Yeah. And, and, you know, this this bleeds into this coming game because the the spirit had players that were close contacts or the tested positive. They have to quarantine. They had to stay in Portland. Um, that list is not clear um, at this point. Uh, I know that there are players who are have definitely posted on social media that are back here. But it's not a long enough list where I can put together starting lineup and a, and a bench like i i don't know there there are two there are more players that i don't know the status of than than i do know the status of um so i, I can get to seven or eight where i'm like they're definitely back here they're definitely living life as if you know living life as before uh the positive outbreaks broke out um or the positive tests uh broke out i should say um so you know, I can start to piece together six, seven players, but that's about as far as I can get. Um, so that's another layer to this where I am under the impression that everything is a go uh, for this weekend's game, but I'm still only under the impression. Um, I'm operating right. as if the game is going to happen as planned. I know uh, the rain traveled out here early, um, that they were going to spend the whole week out here, um, if, if or at least, you know, close to a whole week anyway. Um and I know that uh, just Fishlock came across uh, the Nando's uh, chicken chain, which they have in the United Kingdom and is a huge deal there. And she was very excited. <laughs> they, they are on the East Coast. They just haven't expanded out to into the West Coast. Most of the, yeah, I, th- I think they've gotten as far as like Chicago, but they start the American location started out here. And apparently this was her first encounter with them uh, since returning to the league. And she was really excited. Um, so <laughs> they got out here. Uh, they're out here, you know, doing their thing as if the game's happening, which, um, you know, if you happen to see some signs that the rain are maybe headed to the airport, that's a real bad sign for the game status. But right now it seems like all systems are go. Um, but, you know, like I said before, there's a lot of information that's not coming out from the spirit. This is, um, you know, one of the consequences of, the coaching staff being so shorthanded is that there hasn't been the normal pregame media availability uh, going into any of these last three games that they've had and also the Portland game that never was. So it's been a while since we've gotten to speak with, with them because it's two people doing the workflow of four. Um, And so it, it, by all accounts I'm told is that like literally no one feels like they have the time. Um, which is a whole other thing. Like most of the listeners are not necessarily um, in the media, so they don't have to worry about the level of access or whatever. Right. But it, you know, at well, a certain ta- point, let's talk about a- the coaches. Sure, go ahead. Yeah. So, so you said they're down to two. So that's mm-hmm. Chris Ward and uh, uh, Paul Crichton, the goalkeeper coach. And I realized I, I didn't know this, but I, I realized kind of flipping back through that enduring spirit book from the 2013 season that Bo Dewar wrote mm-hmm. that Chris Ward has been around since that season. Yeah. Um, um, he, so, so that to me kind of makes, 
makes him like a Sam Leite for the rain where it's got, at least you've got this person that's been around so long that, you know, the players are familiar with him. So, you know, not a bad choice for an interim, but, but what do you think happens after this season? Well, you know, to be clear, he was, he was here and then um, wasn't with the spirit for quite a while and then came back. Okay. Okay. Um, so there's a gap um, in okay. there, but um no, he, he came in as uh, one of the new assistants this year. Um, and I know he's got some pretty deep ties in the area. I um, He's co- or in their youth days, I believe both uh, Andy Sullivan and Anna Halferty, both from Northern Virginia, uh, were coached by him at some point along their development. So um, he's a definitely a known quantity out here. And um, he's been certainly... Uh, I, I think both, I, I think at one point he was working as a scout for the Seattle Sounders uh, for, for a while there. So a pretty diverse background, especially for a coach that, that is still young. Um, so he's been in this for quite a while, despite not being the age of someone with the lengthy resume um, that you would expect. Um, but yeah, he uh, so far the seems to have the, the players have had nothing but positive things to say. Um his his post game press conferences. He's been very thoughtful in breaking down why uh, you know things happen in the game, what adjustments they were looking to make, that kind of thing. Um, it seems like uh, everyone's on board. Uh, it seems like within the soccer bubble of the the club, within the soccer silo, everyone's just sort of staying on staying on course and and doing their best to be focused at training and and come in focused for games. Um, so, yeah, I think that the impression I have um, with admittedly limited information, I, I think I, I I feel bad because I, I keep coming back to that. But I really know very little because no one is getting very much. Uh, yeah. So we, so we right could now. just take take that for granted because uh, yeah. I, I think we're all kind of used to that, too, where it's sure. like we want more information and there's only so much mm-hmm. information that that is is being put mm-hmm. out there. But I do feel like the team has held it together pretty well and and i think really the kicker will be you know what happens this weekend right kind of like right. uh, like watching louisville last weekend you know first game without christy holly it was kind of interesting to to see how they responded right like mm-hmm. it's it seemed like they were it made them come together as a group right like that bonding in the face of adversity and and sometimes that you know, that can have a, a big impact. Um, and, and I think, you know, perhaps the spirit can take advantage of that too. It, I, I will say, uh, you know, thinking back to that Houston game, um, even in the face of, you know, that was a game they led to nothing and it ended up as a draw. Um, so that's on its surface, um, you know, a pretty disappointing outcome. If you go on the road and take a lead like that, you really expect to see the game out in the spirit, definitely hold themselves to that standard. So there's a level of disappointment, but, um, one thing that Ward, I, I believe the phrase he used was he described a superhuman level of, uh, uh, focus and commitment to, um, the, a, as a group, you know, committing to each other as players and, and committing to the job at hand of still having a game, you know, as much as all the stuff that happened with Burke's firing that, that week leading into it, they still had a game. Uh, the dash were not going to, you know, come in and be like, well, you've had a tough week, so we'll, we'll go easy. Right. On you. Um, and it's also, it's a road game in Houston on top of everything else. It's also that summertime playing in Houston factor that, uh, right. 
every team that travels there does not really enjoy. Um, so all of those things combined, um, it was a real point of emphasis uh, from Chris Ward that um, how pleased he was, how impressed he was with the group for having that fortitude uh, to block out what has been, you know, a couple of seasons worth of, of distractions to just a, you know, in just such a short period of time to block all of that out and still go out and still um, not just play the spirits way, but, you know, there are some subtle modifications. I feel like I think um, since the coaching change, there's maybe slightly less of a commitment to the whole um, 600 passes and 60% possession (laughs) thing. Um, which, which to be honest, might be, it might've been a reasonable, uh, tactical choice because when you've got an attack that you, you look at that front three and it's, you know, Trinity Rodman, Ashley Hatch, Ashley Sanchez. One of the things that has changed is Sanchez has now been moved up to left forward rather than often playing in the midfield, um, as Burke was trying out for a lot of this year. Um, but what you have, when you think of those players is, Rodman and Sanchez want to dribble at people. They want space to run into. They want to be direct. Uh, Ashley Hatch has scored most of her goals when the game breaks out in transition and she has space to run into. Right. Um, So this is a team that the attackers they have are all really talented, but they're all geared towards those transition moments. And a lot of spirit highlight goals that you might think of throughout this whole season have been, have not been possession goals. They've been the other team, tries to press up and then Andy Sullivan or someone else goes over the top. And all of a sudden it's one of those front three is in space one-on-one against somebody. Um, so dialing down the possession emphasis a little bit, not a lot. It's not like they've started hoofing it uh, or anything like that, but being just slightly more to the point in what they do um, is, it does feel like that's where they're going. Um, but they've also, uh, you know, Chris, Chris Ward said they had to sort of simplify some things because they, they just don't have um, the numbers of, of coaches to go over X, Y, and Z with so many people. They, they can't do as many individual, you know, Hey, I cut clips for you to watch. You know, I cut half an hour right. video for you to watch. They, there's not enough hands on deck to, it, it, it's gotta be, it's gotta be down and dirty, but I think sometimes that means that you have to cut to, like what's most important, right? You're you're yep. kind of getting you're getting back to it's like, hey, all of you girls probably can remember a time when the spirit or another club you played for, you know, only had two coaches. You mm-hmm. know, we, we we can do this. Let's not any nothing's an excuse, nothing's a distraction. You know, that that sure. kind of stuff. Um, and, but uh, I, but I, I wanted to ask you one more question before we wrap it up um because i don't want to get off into the weeds on 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 all the on all the details but i wanted to get your thoughts on um andy sullivan getting the call up for the upcoming friendlies u.s friendlies against paraguay Uh, i think it's it's pretty richly deserved especially when you look at um the players that aren't going to be available for that group um you know she got the call before the olympics uh while you know it was never said clearly uh, by anyone with U.S. soccer that this was the idea, but like Julie Ertz's status was unclear um, and she was the defensive midfielder called in. She never really got her her moment in any of those pre pre tournament friendlies to uh, really make the case on the field. Um, we saw Emily Sonnet play there uh, for, I think, one half. Lindsay Horan ended up playing most of the minutes there. Um 
So I, I have to assume that the coaching staff evaluated that in training and said, these, this is the best option, especially with the um, Olympic roster restrictions, which were only, they only officially expanded that to the full group uh, right before the tournament. So when she was called in for that, um, it was still that 18 players plus four alternates instead of 22 players um, right. set up. So, uh, you know, I, I personally felt she should have been given her moment in those games to make a case in, in a game, not just in training. Um, but I understand that, you know, we see the tip of the iceberg with national team camps. We see the games, we don't see the training sessions. And so, well, um, and look, and looking back, I kind of feel like, um, you know, cause I think we all thought that she had a tiny chance to make it. Sophia Smith sure. had a chance to make it. Midge had a chance to make it and they didn't. So that makes me think looking back that, for Vlatko, they weren't in the possible pool of 22, but he was using that camp as like, I'm, I'm prepping you for 2023. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, is another good way to do it. And they did have to figure out, you know, what if, what if Julie can't go to the tournament at all? Um, right. What if we have right. to make that level of change? Um, you don't want to then be, you know, calling Sullivan in from outside the camp entirely. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, this is a camp where I mentioned Julie Ertz, but Sam Mewis is also not available. So um, the 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 window is there for her. This is really a pretty golden opportunity um, when you look at the way that roster is built. Um, you don't have a lot of number sixes in there, um, especially if you want to push her and back into. Uh, a role further forward, it really does become the same dynamic at the spirit, which is uh, the spirit. It's more, more straightforward. Sullivan is the six and uh, Emily Sonnet played there one time this year. Um, Chris Ward went out and said that he sees her as a center back. So that's where she played. And in fact, in their last game, uh, Paige Nielsen was out on the right so that Sonnet could play in the middle. So it's to that degree that he sees that. Um, So for Sullivan, I think this is a better opportunity for her to actually play in these games and make her case, not just in training, but like trying to make those connections with whether that's that long range of passing, looking for some of the more regulars. Um, If she can show, Hey, I've got the same sort of read on their off the ball runs um, as I do with Ashley Hatch and Trinity Rodman. If she can show that kind of connection with Alex Morgan, for example, well, then all of a sudden um, that really raises her case quite a bit. Um, but yeah, when you look at the way the roster is set up, it does kind of point to her getting um, a real opportunity here. And I will I will also throw in that um, she's had some very bad luck timing wise with a few. I, I was I was just going to say, like, like, I think it's three times two, now. Yeah. Where it's just yeah. like took, took her out just long enough, you know, mm-hmm. it was never a horribly long injury. Right. But it right. was usually just long enough to kind of take her out um, of a key developmental window. But, mm-hmm. you know, the great thing is, you know, she's been healthy, she's playing well. And, you know, now we are opening that door to planning for 2023. So with mm-hmm. that, let's wrap it up. Cause you and I have chatted a lot, but mm-hmm. Jason, I want to thank you for coming on and talking about a lot of the Washington spirit details, because there've been so many this week. I can't imagine how stressful it's been for you the last couple (laughs) of weeks. Um, But I was like, you know, I just need to talk to Jason and and get a clear focus on this. And and I'm sure we'll have to talk again as, as more news happens. Yeah, definitely. 
time to wrap it up with the back four. First and foremost, we are in the September FIFA window right now, the window that's uh, for women's internationals, of course. So no NWSL games this weekend, but 45 NWSL players were called up to their respective national teams. And I did put a full list of the September call-ups uh, on my NWSL roster page, which you can access at keepernotes.com slash You definitely want to bookmark that page. And of course, the U.S. women, they have two games during this FIFA window. They're playing Paraguay for the first time and for the second time. Uh, Both of those games taking place in Ohio. All available players from the 2021 Olympic roster were called up for this this camp, these two games. Um, Of course, if you are injured, Kristen Press decided to opt out. So Mallory Pugh, Andy Sullivan, and Sophia Smith got called in as well. First game is Thursday on ESPN2 at 6.30 p.m. Central. And the second match is Tuesday, September 21st, 6.30 p.m. That one will be on Fox Sports 1. Also, during this same window, the Houston Dash are hosting a Liga MX Femenil team, which is a first in NWSL history, one of our clubs hosting uh, a team from Mexico. That game will be Sunday, September 19th, 6 p.m. in Houston. It will air on HoustonDash.com. It will also be on local TV. So if you're in the Houston area, you can watch on Quest Texas 55. But seriously, if you're in the Houston area and you want to attend the match, tickets are available starting at $18 at HoustonDash.com. There's even a really great bundle um, where you can get tickets for both that match and one of the October home matches as a set for a pretty cheap price. So if you're interested in that, call 713-276-7529. Ask for my friend Jay. will certainly help you out. And last but certainly not least, my NWSL Almanac, the Keeper Notes NWSL Almanac, always for sale. I've got print versions. I've got PDF versions. Uh, the current version that's available is the one that goes through 2020. So it has everything from 2013 all the way through 2020. The next edition won't be out until January. Um, so you can buy that keepernotes.com. Like I said, you can buy print, PDF, or both. So that's it for this episode of The Mix Zone. Want to give a shout out to sponsors Roughneck Scarves and also IcarusFC.com. Big shout out, of course, to my producer, Sean Ringrose, who also has a podcast that you can check out at anchor.fm slash Gen Orange. And that's G-E-N for Generation Orange. Most of all, I want to give a shout out to the Beautiful Game Network for hosting this podcast. And of course, to all the listeners for listening. But now she's anybody's girl